Every year about this time, as we get closer to Christmas, and also around the same time at Easter, um, what you see is you know, news stations like MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, uh, magazines. You'll see them on the periodical aisle in the, in the grocery store. They, they do stories on Jesus. The historical Jesus, the search for the real Jesus, you know, the meaning of Christmas. So they'll they'll go in there and they'll they'll try to present Jesus to the world, <laughs> but they always have some type of scholar or scholars who really care less about the Bible and they're adamant rejectors of God's truth. And they're gonna inform you about who the real Jesus is. Huh. And what they tell you is the Jesus that was real is not the Jesus of the Bible. In fact, they, they, they describe Him as a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a mystic, a revolutionary. He was a, a social justice advocate, a Jewish storyteller. But one thing they say He was not. He was not God. He wasn't deity. They deny His miracles. They deny His healings. They usually write them off as psychosomatic healings. The resurrection is some kind of psychotic-induced experience that the disciples had that kind of they fed off of to go tell people and start this new movement. And they really got all of their energy from the movement and it had nothing to do with the resurrected Christ. One news magazine actually said that, uh, and this was about 15 years ago, that there's nothing new that has been discovered about Jesus since the Gospels. Now that's true. That's really true. But if that's true, then how can they sit in front of you and give you all this false information that doesn't correlate with what's in the Bible? How can they do that in good conscience? Well, the truth of it all is is that Satan has just continued to spend the same lies for thousands of years. And he just does it in different ways. But it's the same lies that's always been there. And the bottom line is, it's not that they reject Jesus because there's not enough evidence. Or because there's not historical evidence. Or historical testimony. The reason they reject Jesus is they don't like the moral boundaries that that puts them in and the fact that they violated those boundaries and they need a Redeemer. They need somebody to deliver them from God's wrath. They don't want to acknowledge that. And so what they do is they create their own version of Jesus. There's a lot of people that do that today. They just create their own version of Jesus. In fact, I just heard somebody... I was listening to somebody who used to be, quote, a Bible teacher, but now is a, an apostate. They say, well, you know, uh, that's their version of Jesus, but I see a different Jesus. My Jesus wouldn't condemn anybody to hell. Well, we're going to see today what the Scriptures teach. And either you, you can't take one part of Scripture and not the other. You've got to see it in its entirety, in its context. 
And so to say that Jesus wouldn't judge somebody, how many of you guys have heard somebody just in the last year say, well, Jesus wouldn't judge a person? Have you ever heard that? I've heard it. I've heard people on TV say that. Like a news, news people say, well, Jesus wouldn't judge them. We're going to see today they're wrong. He does judge. He is the judge. He's been given the judgment of people. And it's in Scripture, and we're going to see that. So what I say to you guys, if, if it's coming from Doug, and it doesn't match up right here, you need to disregard it. And I realized because somebody came to me and asked me about something in Scripture, I want you guys to be Bereans. I don't want you to be spoon-fed. When I talked through Acts chapter 4, I talked about how there was 5,000 people that had responded to the gospel. But since then, a few times, I know at least two, possibly three, I made reference to 8,000 people. And that's, that was not a number that came out of Scripture. I conflated those two numbers somehow in my mind, and a good Berean came to me and said, hey, you said this, but I don't think that's what the text says. So we went back to the text, and I said, you know what, I think you're right, but let's check. And they were right. And I was wrong, because I just, in my mind, because I'm human, flawed, I conflated it, and I made the statement, you know, 8,000 people came to Christ. And there, there were probably more. There were 5,000 men. But the way the Greek reads in that Scripture, it's, it's not 3,000 plus 5,000. It's 3,000 and then 5,000. Is that important? Yeah, you know why it's important? How many people did Jesus feed? What? He fed 5,000 Jewish people, right? We're talking about Jewish people here. Who preached the message in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4? Peter. Peter did. What did Jesus tell Peter? Feed my sheep. Don't you think it was more than coincidence that 5,000 was the number that day? Was Peter feeding the sheep? Yeah, he was. He was feeding the sheep. So it's important to have that right. And so I thank that Berean. You know who the Berean was? It was my wife. I thank God for a Berean wife. Gil has a Berean wife too. <laughs> it's good to have those wives, isn't it? To keep us straight. But I wanted to tell you guys that because I know I've said it twice and, and it was wrong. And so I, 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 you know, I told Lori, I feel so dumb. She said, well, you're just human. <laughs> you're just human and uh, you, you need to be humble sometimes and that's a humbler. And so, so as we look at this text today, what I want you to see in this text from at least what, what God, as I was pouring through it and, and looking at Peter sharing the message, it's really about the gospel, the simplicity of the good news. In fact, the word good news is in the text itself. And if you remember, that word is what? The Greek word is euangelion. Euangelion. And euangelion was only used, the good news was only proclaimed three times in the Roman culture, the Jewish culture there in those cities. There was a block in every city square. And if there was, quote, a euangelion to give the good news, the proclamation, what three events? Do you remember I shared it with you guys before? There were three things that they would say it over. New king. 
that there was a new emperor was a new emperor was coronated you know king emperor what what else what the birth of a son of an the, the uh, a new emperor was born and one more there was a great victory by the emperor like a military victory those were the only three times that that word euangelion was used that person would go to that street corner and proclaim that we need to keep that in mind remember i went to isaiah 52 and we talked about that so here's the setting remember we looked a couple of weeks ago at cornelius and what's going on with cornelius he is a roman centurion he's a uh, of the italian cohort he's in caesarea about 25 miles uh south of uh, Nazareth. He's right on the seacoast in the greatest seacoast city of that time that Herod built. And he's, he's, a, he's one of six commanders there that has the responsibility to guard really the governor who might have been Pontius Pilate or his replacement. And so he's there. And we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago that in every salvation experience, what? There's a divinely orchestrated plan for you, for me, for Cornelius, everybody, if there's a salvation experience, God has orchestrated this plan to make it happen. And it's divine in every, every part that he brings together. Second, we saw that he uses divinely ordained priests. Every time. When I was up at, in Georgia, I was up there as a priest representing the Most High God. And I was just shooting to be around guys to be a priest to them. Do we think like that when we're out in the world? Wherever you are, you're a priest. Every one of you. Not just me. You are a priest. We are a kingdom of priests. And so God chose not to use Philip in Caesarea. He brought Peter from Joppa because that was the priest He wanted to use because it's His plan. He chooses the people. He chooses the timing and He chooses the plan. We saw that. Third, we saw there's a divine opportunity to profess. Every salvation experience, every true salvation experience will give the person a chance to profess their loyalty and their love for Christ. And how, how is our love for Christ demonstrated to others? Our loyalty, right? Our obedience. And there was with Cornelius because he was told what? Go do this. And he did. Was it a big deal for him? You betcha. He had to send somebody to probably the number one guy on the FBI's most wanted list at that time. The leader of the, the way. And so he sent people to go there to bring him to his house. Could he have been convicted of treason? Probably. They crucified Jesus. And now the chief guy leading their group, he's inviting into his house? To hear about it? Certainly that was treasonous, but he did it. And lastly, we saw a divinely observable presence. Remember in the house, Cornelius said, we are all here in the presence of who? God. We are here in the presence of God. And God was there visible in the believers that were there. Peter and six other guys. Seven total. And so, this week as we look through Acts 10, 34-43... I want you to uh, pay attention to what is happening and coming out of Peter. Because it is the Gospel. This is a Gospel presentation. 
And what I want to share with you today is the gospel or the good news always, first of all, starts with God. I'm going to give you five things in this text about the gospel. First of all, it always starts with God. It always starts with God, our Creator. Now, in our culture, it hasn't always done that. In fact, I've led people on trips over to Russia. I've been on trips. We, we somewhere along the line, we got in the habit of instead of starting with God, you know who we start with? The man, the listener. We start with them. Hey, you know what, Tim? God has a great plan for you. You know, don't you want this? Don't you want that? Instead of starting, you know, God created the world and He created you for a relationship with Him. You see the difference in those two statements? God created us for a dependent relationship with Him. One where when we wake up in the morning, we depend on Him and we acknowledge Him as our King, as our leader. And if we don't do that, we are walking in rebellion and disobedience to Him. And the Bible says that if we do that, we are separated from Him relationally and we are in danger of eternal punishment. That's what the Bible says. We earn eternal punishment. The Bible says it this way, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everybody... uh, Paul also says there's no one righteous. Nobody seeks God. And so it starts with God. That's the first thing. Second, the gospel is not partial to any group or person. There's no partiality with God. Doesn't matter what country you come from. Doesn't matter what skin color you are. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter your family background. None of that matters to God. He is in partial but in the gospel the good news is impartial and that's the second thing we're going to see third the gospel always presents jesus of nazareth that's the human side of jesus and the god side of jesus the promised messiah you 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 a lot of times we we will talk about the god side but we don't talk about the human side we see here in Peter, when he's sharing, he he talks about Jesus of Nazareth. You know, that's Brad from Jacksonville, or Chuck from Jacksonville. You know, that that's he was a real human being, and he talked about what he did when he walked the earth. He talked about him being filled with the Spirit. So the gospel always starts with God. It's impartial, partial to no one. It always presents Jesus, the human Jesus. It presents the promised Messiah. It also testifies to the resurrection. You've got to have the resurrection as part of a gospel uh, presentation. You can't just say Jesus died on the cross for your sins and leave out the resurrection. It's the hinge point of the gospel. No resurrection, there's no hope. And so he brings that out and he talks about they were chosen as witnesses. And we're going to see what that means there. And finally, true gospel conversion always results in ambassadors that testify that Jesus is king, he is judge, and he is redeemer. 
lot of times we don't like bringing out the fact that He is King. We don't bring out the fact that He is Judge. We just focus on the fact that He's Redeemer. But we're going to see what Peter shares here, what Paul also shares to Timothy, and Peter shares that He is the Judge of the living and the dead. He is the Judge. Yes, Jesus does judge. He is the judge. And so he says, finally, all the prophets bear witness to him being that person. And so let's read the text. We're going to come back and we're going to look at each one of these. Starting in verse 34. Acts 10, 34. So Peter opened his mouth. Let me just stop there for a second, guys. You can't share the gospel without opening your mouth. It's impossible. You can't share the gospel just by living your life. So I know some guy sometime, a long time ago said, you know, share the gospel and use the words that necessary. Words are always necessary. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by what? The Word of God. So if you're not opening your mouth, you can't share it. I just try to live a good life. That's not going to get anybody the gospel. You have to open your mouth just like Peter did. And you go, well, I'm just not a talker. I bet you talk about your favorite restaurant. bet you talk about your favorite grandchild. bet you talk about your favorite accomplishments. Favorite football team. Favorite Favorite political party. Favorite whatever. Just throw it out there. We talk about things that are important to us. Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, that word there is ethnos, which we get the word ethnic. Anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to him as far as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ he is lord of all you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning with Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the holy spirit and with power he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins, plural, through His name. May God bless the reading of His Word. Guys, the good news always starts with God. Did you hear how many times God was mentioned in the text? Over and over. Who God appointed. Who God empowered. It starts with God. 
All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, 15, verse 15, is where we first get a glimpse of the gospel message. From Genesis to Revelation, everything that God put in His text to us leads us to Jesus. He was mentioned back in Genesis 3. In Genesis 12, remember in Genesis 12, uh, when Abraham, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this and I'm going to use you to be a channel of blessing to the whole world. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And so God's people were to always be that channel. But Israel did not embrace that. They thought it was just about getting. I think we've fallen into the same trap in the evangelical church here. Where we make it all about us. We don't see ourselves necessarily as the channel. We see that's some people's job, but we're all to be priests. We are to, it starts with God and we represent God when we go out into the world. So we don't do it in our own power and we don't go where we want. The Holy Spirit determines who comes into the kingdom, when they come into the kingdom, and who God uses to bring them into the kingdom. And so He may bring Brad into Jeff's life to share the Gospel, but Brad may be disobedient, so Jeff's salvation is not dependent on Brad's obedience. But Brad will give a price or pay a price. There will be some discipline in Brad's life if he fails to be the priest God made him to be. That's, that's the way it is. I mean, I don't know if, if for, for, for you in business, Jimmy, if you have your business, let's say you got this big company and you got people that are supposed to be doing stuff. They're supposed to be telling people about the product. They're, they're your salespeople, your sales force out there. And they go out and they say, well, I don't really have to say anything. I'm just going to use it. I'm just going to use it. Jimmy had a pool stick business, so I'm just going to use the pool stick. But they never tell. But these are your salespeople. These are the ones whose job it is to go out in the world. If they never tell anybody, do you think you're going to sell a lot of pool sticks? It don't work that way. Now listen, here's the beautiful part about serving Jesus. We don't have to sell Him. He says, just go be my witnesses to what He's done in our life. But we are to be witnesses. We're to be His priest. To be a go-between for the people that are out there. But when we do that, guys, it starts with God. It always starts with Him. He created us for a relationship. That is the starting point for any Gospel presentation. That it starts with God creating us for a relationship with Him. A dependent relationship. But we broke that relationship. And that's the bad news. It starts with bad news. Nobody's going to go get chemo or the gill if they, they don't think they have a problem. Nah, it's awful. Right, Jim? I mean, nobody's going to go, okay, you can shoot me up if they don't believe there's a significant issue. And so when we start with the good news for people, we're offering them something they don't really value. We've got to start with God and start with the fact that we've offended a holy God. We've broken that relationship and fellowship with Him. <clears throat> Exodus 19.6 says, Moses told the people, you are to be a kingdom of priests. Peter said the same thing in 
1 Peter 2.9. So we are to be the priests that go represent God to the world. And when we go out there, one of the things we share with them is He's not partial to anyone. You don't get a pass because you're from this family. You don't get a pass because you're from this country. You don't get a pass because you have this much money. You don't get a pass because you've done this or that. He's not partial to anyone. Everybody's held to the same standard. And you know what it is? It's absolute perfection. God is no respecter of person. Yes. It's, he's absolute perfection. You go, whoa, wait a minute. I, nobody can be perfect. That's right. That's exactly right. Nobody can be perfect. Well, well, I didn't mean to. Just like I didn't mean to run over Bill's Segway. I didn't know it was there. But man, I messed up. We mess up all the time. We think we're doing okay because we're not as bad as this person. But who is the standard that we are judged against? It is Jesus. It's not one of us. And so God's not partial. It says that in Romans 2, 11. It says God is not partial to anyone. It says it over in Ephesians 6, verse 9. There is no partiality with Him. None. Colossians 3, 25. Again, Paul brings out there's no partiality. They are making it clear, guys. There's no partiality. Notice what it says. Anyone who what? Fears God and does what is right. That sounds almost like you've got to work your way there, doesn't it? But that's not what he's saying. Fear of God is having this worship, reverential awe, and doing what is right means recognizing the standard. This is a pre-salvation condition. And for somebody to be in this pre-salvation condition, what has to be happening? The Holy Spirit has to be leading them, right? Drawing them because what did Jesus say back in John 6? No one can come to me unless what? The Father draws. When the Father draws, guess what? There is a fear that develops. There's an understanding that there is a different standard than the world. But you guys got people out there's there's people out all over the internet right now saying well, you know what? All these Christians are just, they're messed up teaching original sin. There's no such thing as original sin. That's what they're teaching. And they believe that. They believe that that's just some kind of psychotic manipulation of people to control them by pastors all over the country. There's a conspiracy to put all this together. And for 2,000 years... It's been taught. But there is original sin. You don't have to teach children how to lie. You don't have to teach them how to be mean. They learn. It's in, it's in them. What we need to be taught is that you can be transformed. But he feared God. He did what was right. It shows God working in the heart. Listen to what Micah 6.8 says. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Again, just for Cornelius to invite Peter into his house, put his life at risk and his family's life at risk. But he feared God more than he feared man. Remember what Jesus said back in John 5 and John 12? You care, you care more about the glory of man than you do the glory of God. Not Cornelius. Why? Because God's working in his heart. 
Because he's not partial to anybody. Now, had it been up to Peter, he'd have never gone to Cornelius' house. But Peter's not in charge. You're not in charge. I'm not in charge. We don't get to choose who God brings into his family. We don't get to pick. Aren't you glad that we don't get to pick? I'm glad. I'm so glad. I'm glad God chooses those people. Well, if you look down in verse 36, it says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news, that's that word, euangelion, of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Preaching, that word is caruso. And he sent that word to Israel. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. So he starts telling him what happened. He's presenting Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, he goes down in verse 38 and that's what he says. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. You go, wait a minute. I thought He was the Holy Spirit. I thought He, I thought he was God. He is God, isn't He? In nature. Why did God have to anoint Him with the Holy Spirit? You ever thought about that? That's what Scripture says. You ever wonder why it says, or Jesus grew in wisdom and stature? If He was God, why would He have to grow? He would already possess all knowledge. Right? Have you ever thought about that? Because He set it aside. He never set aside His deity. He never stopped being God. He set aside His power. And he limited his power to only those times that God led him by the Holy Spirit to use those powers. He didn't come into the world and go, okay, I know everything. He put it aside. He knew it when he was allowed at that time to know it. He purposely... Remember Philippians 2, it says... Jesus in being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But He, what? He laid aside. He took the form of a servant, a human. He was human. He was Jesus of Nazareth. That's what He was known as. And He did good things. Look what it said. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And you know what they did because of that? It said they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Over in Deuteronomy 21-22, it says, For a hanged man is cursed by God. He became the curse that we were supposed to get. He was, you know, Acts 5, Peter says the same thing. You killed him by hanging on a tree, talking to the Jews there. Paul over in Galatians 3 talks about the he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us that's why he was crucified and hung on a tree guys but but his human body was put on that tree on that cross until every last sin had been paid for past present and future ever to be god focused his Judgment like a laser beam on the cross that day, so much so that he had to turn his head away from his own son. And Jesus goes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why did he do it? Well, because, because he wanted to forgive our sins. God wanted to redeem his people throughout time. Those he chose, he had a plan to redeem. From the beginning, after Adam and Eve sinned, it was unfolding, and he had a plan to redeem everybody who's his. Those who aren't his, and there are people that aren't his. There's people that can hear the gospel 50,000 times and they're not going to repent. There's people that can see God's judgment just displayed all over people and it can cause them great pain, but it says still they did not repent. Why? It says in Revelation, because their names were not written in the book of life. How do you reconcile those two things? I don't know. It is mind-blowing to me, but I'm just so grateful my name's there. Because I know my name's there. You can't convince me. I've never, there's never been a time in my life that I haven't thought, I wonder if my name's really there. Now, some people struggle with that. I'm just telling you, I've known my name is there and I thank God for him. And like Paul told the Gentiles when he wrote Romans, he says, don't get puffed up because you've been given this life. Use it to go share. Pray for your brothers. Pray for those. That's why it's such a tragedy that so many people sit in churches and they've never told anybody about Jesus Christ. They've never let it come out of their lips. And they're supposed to testify. Jesus Christ was crucified in the tomb three days and rose again. Verse 40 and 41, that's what He says. But God raised Him on the third day and caused Him to appear. Not to all people, but to what? Those He had chosen. Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, what? He died for us. 1 Corinthians 5.8 says, Christ died for our sins. Over in 1 Corinthians 15.14, Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then all my preaching is in vain and my faith is worthless. The resurrection, guys, is the hinge point of the Gospel. And so because we were alienated from God and He sent His Son Jesus, He was born of a virgin, He healed the sick, He raised the dead, He said, I'm going to die on a cross. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And He did it. He died on a cross. Three days later, God raised Him from the dead. He appeared to His disciples and over 500 people who were appointed by God to be be seen with Jesus or to see Jesus. And then they became the witnesses that carried forth the message of the resurrection. And now we have that responsibility. To testify. Why? Because what does it say in verse 42? And He commanded us to preach. Does that sound like an option to you? He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the One. Jesus of Nazareth is the One appointed by God. What? What does it say? To be the Redeemer, to be the Savior, 
says what? To be the judge of the living and the dead. Wait a minute. I didn't think we were supposed to talk about judgment with people. I thought that wasn't a very loving thing to do. You know what Paul told Timothy? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5, but they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Same thing. John 5, Jesus speaking. Verse 22, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So who's the judge? So when somebody says to you next time, well, my Jesus wouldn't judge anybody like that. What are you going to say? Jesus wasn't judgmental. Well, that depends on what you mean by judgmental. He is the judge. Verse 27 of chapter 5 of John says, and He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. The word Son of Man, that's a title of the Messiah. He's the judge of the living and the dead. And He says here, He's the one all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sin through His name. Not believes in what He did, which is what a lot of people in this country think. They think if I just believe in the cross, that Jesus died on the cross and paid... The... No, they're placing their belief in what He did. You have to believe in Him. Your faith is in Him, not in what He did. What He did is part of who He is, but it's, it's not all of it. You believe in Him. He's alive. Amen. He's alive today. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you can't be forgiven. If you don't, if you don't allow Him to be who He's supposed to be, which is what? King, Judge, and Redeemer. He's not just a Redeemer. He's King. He's Judge. And He's Redeemer. All the prophets bear witness. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 53. This is a passage that you won't hear in a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. They, they skip over it when it comes time to read this. Verse uh, 4, chapter 53 of Isaiah. Surely He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon Him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of us all. Jeremiah 34, 31 verse 34. This is what the prophets, all I could read from Ezekiel, I could read from Hosea, I could read from Micah. All of them, they speak to this. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least 
to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness. Now, what's interesting is Peter starts with peace and forgiveness, his message, and his message ends with peace and forgiveness. It's not a long message. Not a complicated message. Very simple. And one day we're all going to have to give an account, but I stand before every guy in this room today. There's not a guy in this room today who will be able to say, I didn't know. I'm innocent of your blood. Saturday, when I proclaim, if God lets me go out there and proclaim Saturday, I will be innocent of any blood in that parking lot if they don't repent. Because the Gospel is going to go forth. And like he told Ezekiel, he said, if you don't carry the message, their blood's on your hands. But if you do and they don't repent, it's on them. Guys, when you have opportunities, open your mouth. Be a priest. Be a messenger. Be an ambassador. Listen to what Paul says, and I'm going to close with this over in 2 Corinthians 5. This is why it's so important. You don't just represent yourself when you go out into the world. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Well, let me go back to 19. In Christ, God reconciled the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Guys, you're nothing more than this right here. You're just an instrument. And God wants to write His name on people in this world that have not yet bowed their knee to Him. The question is, are you going to be that priest, that ambassador that He's called you to be? Are you going to let the world distract you? Are you going to let the world uh, take you away from your primary calling? No way. Don't do it. Don't do it. There's too many people that need the hope of Jesus, especially now. So Father, thank You for the reminder today. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for just the people in the past week that I've had an opportunity to share with, and I just lift up their name. And maybe you've got a name on your heart, and I just pray you lift it up to God right now that these people would uh, would would really bow their hearts to Jesus and allow Him to be the King, Judge, and Redeemer that they called Him to be. And Lord, I just I just lift up uh, I lift up uh, Jesse, and I lift up. Brian and I, I lift up Lord uh, Billy and Adam. And I just lift these men up to You. And Bill, Lord, I pray for their souls. I pray for their salvation. And I thank You so much, Lord, that You give us opportunities not just to be an ambassador, but Lord, we get to enjoy Your presence because of what Jesus did in a relationship with You. Help us, Lord to go forth out of this room today and be renewed in our zeal and our fervor to represent you and put you on display in the world and to be your messengers in Christ's name.
Amen.